Welcome to Mern's Voices, a podcast created by Mern's Writers. I'm Cheryl Marjotta. In this episode, we'll stroll through stunning landscapes, breathe deep of the sea air and wonder at the majesty of the skies. We'll hear tales of simmering rage, impending disaster and murder most foul, and our writers reveal the inspiration for their work. So brew up, feet up, sit back and take it all in. Let's start on a reflective note with this moving poem by Alastair Laurie. He never was one much for touching. Apart from tousling the brow-creamed hairstyle I'd laboured to perfect, and, of course, his tests of strength. Like arm-wrestling with a leathery vice, his tightly buttoned collarless grey shirt strained against the muscles of his neck, and always he would eye me carefully as if to see how I would deal with it. And always, too, his hand squeezed mine until it hurt, and then beyond, then stopped, just as I knew that he could crush it if he chose, but then he never did. Instead he'd barely nod and smile and let me go as if I'd passed the test. And so I had, and so I did each time he clasped my hand, and each time I'd be a little stronger, but not enough until that final testing. As I left his bed, where he ignored the women fluttering their concerned avoidance of the truth that gnawed inside him, where his pyjama top, still buttoned all the way, hung loosely like the skin around his neck. Oh, aye, it was just then his eye seized mine, and raised his hand to mine, and gripped. I gripped, and I still feel that grasp in mine, and see his eyes locked on my face as mine were held on his, and neither one would loosen until we kent we'd passed the test, and gave each other that slight nod and smiled, as men will sometimes do, each trying to accept the fact we'd never meet or touch again. That's such an emotionally charged poem, Alistair. Well, Cheryl, I don't think the poem needs an awful lot of explanation. It kind of says what it has to say for itself. But I will say that it's a poem that's always meant a great deal to me. Mainly, I suppose, because it's about my grandfather. Our next piece of work is a short story by Marka Riffett. Healthy Pursuits Esme's spirits soared. She was engaged. Graduation with flying colours was on the horizon. And best of all, Papa was happy. From her earliest years, Esme had struggled valiantly to please Papa. Esme's three younger sisters breezily ignored his exhortations for them to play cricket, climb trees, collect stamps, sail boats, and not cry when they fell, and especially not when dolls, hats and other fripperies came to grief. Esme alone toiled at sports and manly skills and would be found clutching a sextant, in chafed hands as she fell asleep, while her siblings' pale fingers rested lightly on their golden curls. When she showed even the hint of promise in a topic, 
Papa would bully one of his students to tutor her until promise was hammered into ability. All the vigorous mental and physical exercise took its toll, and Esme developed into a very strong young woman. In their motherless household, however, she secretly took the advice of her little sisters on how to conceal broad shoulders and a searing intellect, and how to simper. This dissembling helped greatly in the academic world, for Esme had already acquired the mind of several calculating engines, but constantly had to flutter a fan of modesty in front of her many achievements. Without the regular company of Papa and the torrent of tutors, Esme was a lone explorer on a sea of possibilities, taking solace in her studies, theories and experiments. Then Gerald happened. Gerald gazed fondly at his skating companion. What a find! Just when his family were muttering about his allowance, settling down and the future. His curved moustaches echoed his warm smile as he waved adieu in his mind's eye to all his pals, the parade of dear fellows he was so sure were the love of his life at the time, from grandfather's valet to mamma's colourful friends, from his soft-cheeked school chums to Gordon, who only last week had asked him to the family estate, and whose brown eyes misted with sadness when Gerald revealed his new status, fiancé. Gordon had held him in a firm, cologne-scented embrace for a very long time, then gravely wished him all the luck in the world. Gerald had absolutely no idea what marriage would involve, but decided it was probably like endless evenings of cheroots and brandy, surrounded by chums, or, or like his club, or jolly school outings, or, except with a girl. Esme gazed ahead, forgetting her slippery, ribbon-wrapped new approach to life, which meant dress patterns, gentle gestures and acquiescence and instead mused cheerfully on the properties of ice and the formation of storm clouds. As the fiancés glided on the frozen lake, hand in gloved hand, their thoughts travelled in very different directions. Neither saw that they were heading for thin ice. Poor Esme and poor Gerald, a relationship doomed to fail. Thin ice indeed, Marka. What prompted you to write this? The University of Aberdeen ran a tremendous flash fiction competition using each year four images from their rich archive as the required starting points. I saw a black and white illustration of a couple skating on a frozen pond and the story immediately began. Such a rich story sparked from a single image. Amazing. Coming up next is a poem that I wrote after a recent beach walk. I wanted to capture the uneasiness of our times, the frustration and fear, but also reflect on how soothing and calming the sea can be and how a walk on the beach never fails to lift my spirits. Stones Dealer I don't own the beach, not today, but the figures are distant, just loudy brushstrokes on the hessian sand. A conflicted sky, streak of hopeful blue, but beyond the busy sea, gunmetal grey warns take nothing for granted. 
COVID-weary wanderlusts have left passports in dark drawers and bled from the cities to glower at the surly skies through curses to the chill wind. They loom larger now, blooming into colour. Behind a billowing rainbow windbreak, toddlers squirm in beach towel hugs. Lovers loll where the marum grass frays to shore. Dads in zipped-up anoraks wiggle numb toes in the surf to the thwack of bare feet on footballs. And dogs race, tongues lolling, ears flapping, whirling helicopter tails, unbounded joy. My boots sweep through the stranded jellyfish, molten barley sugar lumps, and trek where bare feet dare not. Follow the scatter of pebbles till I stall on the steeply shelving stones. A jewel box of quartz and jasper, licked clean and tumbled silky smooth. The ocean's pulse pounds my ears while my gaze slips and slides, then snags again and again on treasure. Soon my pockets are heavy. I wade back through all of life to climb the hill path alone, dig my fingers into my hall, feel the warmth and smile. Summer's still in the stones. Now our next poem poses one of life's big questions. It was written by David Potter. In whose autumn I? As the winter closes in and autumn lays down her leafy shore, I find myself asking, how much time does she have? Now the pretty birds are flown and all the sagging seeds have sown. I dwell in her alone, translating her sighs, reading her signs, as she catches me with a weary sunset glance of her eye, and I realise she is beseeching me. And it is not I, but her that asks, how much time do I have? And as her eyes flicker and dim, dim, into sleep, I think to myself, I must not let mine. Not yet. David, a very moving poem. Weary sunset glance of her eye. I thought that was such an evocative line. The autumn all around me had caught me in a poetic frame of mind and the opportunity to dialogue with my autumn muse, who was in very compelling form, leading me to a place which I had never imagined when I first started writing. It's amazing how often that happens, ending up with quite a different piece of work than the one you set out to write. Now, Olga Moroni's flash fiction piece, fabulous at 50, one third place and the prestigious Bridport Prize. Here's Olga with her story, which contains strong language. Fabulous at 50. You stick out like a sore thumb and they know the Latin right. Sex is fucked up. You are, or at least were, in the past a Catholic. Your husband provides for you. And they know this from your olive skin, hair severely slicked back into a ponytail. They know this because you bow your head slightly when asked to do anything, as if you were a lapsed Japanese. They know this because you never do anything exciting at the weekend to talk about. So when they ask you if you believe in life after death, you tell them, yes, I am dead already and in more than one way. I have no children, no high-earning job to be independent by. I left what I knew behind. No one is more surprised than myself that I keep on leaving. Expecting only a yes, they were unprepared for your verbal aggression. You took the bait and threw it back. You've left the fridge door open, you say. 
their mouths draw a helpless O, as their green credentials are momentarily lost. Loss of professional virtue is fatal. You have another fire to put out this morning and walk out of the staff room. They sit down on sofas for their early lunch, their manes of shampooed, conditioned and blow-dried hair swaying gently. They indulge in a mindless ritual, teasing out grains of couscous from their lunch boxes, translucent and hipped like rosary beads with the tines of their dainty forks. Congratulations on your success, Olga. But the strange thing is, originally you were planning to enter the poetry competition. What prompted me to write this piece of work um, was that um, I knew that the poem I had uh, sent for the competition, um, I just had a feeling it was not going to do well. So I thought uh, to write uh, something um that picked up on some um, negative um, things and I tried to make them um, in positive form, I suppose, um, and uh, it paid off. So it was really um, an opening of an opportunity to um, use some other um, technique, I think, um, that I have not tried before and um, it uh, just happened that way. So, uh, yes, I'm quite pleased with it. Well, it certainly paid off, Olga. Now for something completely different. We're urged to look skyward in wonder in this poem by Gloria Potter. Snow moon. Snow moon stippled coats, foot clouds fly by impatient of the silent skies. And a single star, born of frosted midnight, arcs across the everlasting light. Seas run high, and whales cry aloud, dipping and sliding in time they fly, cutting the cold north sea like a breath on a grace note they dance. Blue sea ever in a gull's eye, your sea is bold and reflects sun's gold. Your sea is green and echoes your keen, crystalline, clean, spare, sun's solstice. Gloria, that really encapsulates the majesty of the night skies. A single star born of frosted midnight. Just beautiful. I believe you wrote this after visiting Iceland. The inspiration for Snow Moon came from a journey. We were sailing from the Arctic Circle down to Iceland and we arrived at Isha Fjord um, on the solstice. I'd already watched the sun go down and touch the ocean and rise again and at 4am I was on deck, it was 9 degrees, the water was still and the snow on the mountains glistened and a pod of minky crossed the fjord and that was the moment of poetry for me and that inspired me. Wow, what a wonderful experience, Gloria. Now from frosty skies to a short story that's sure to send a chill through your bones. It was written by Marco Riffett. Pearl in the Dust Pearl watched the dust twisters dance around the plain. 
a two-mule plough could not shift her bones. Let the spindles of ochre dirt do all the rejoicing. Ebb was dead. How could three words cover the months of whispered patient planning with her young cousins when Ebb slept? Then the way it happened, and how long it took. It was supposed to be quick, killing an old jack rabbit with a rock, but Ebb was some beast out the Bible when it came to it. Roaring, screaming fury. Looking at the plain lulled her claw thoughts. The fields had long gone. The green crops sickened, the shoots yellowed, turned paper dry and blew away. When they had seen Ebb was beyond fighting for his sorry life, brought to ground by Pearl and the axe, the young cousins continued to pummel their captor with their bony boy fists. Then they ran around the farmhouse, Aaron and James, throwing onto the splintered boards what they didn't want to steal. Aaron, Ebb's blood stiff in his hair, launched a plate spinning into a window. Glass and china shattered, and that set the pair on busting every pane. Shrieking, they broke down the locked larder door. They ate as they stood, silently packing ham and peaches into their split-lip mouths. When the boys had dwindled to grey specks in the swirling dust, the axe fell from her thin fingers, and Pearl managed four steps to sit in the empty window frame. Marka, such a chilling tale. The horror is so clearly drawn without going into any gory details. Where did the idea come from? Pictures can evoke powerful responses, and I wrote Pearl in the Dust after we were shown photographs of windows in our class for homework. One image instantly created a story for me, cinematic, in the style of Terence Malick's beautiful and tragic Days of Heaven. But how could I sum all that up in a few words? Well, Marka, you certainly succeeded. Our next poem is by Elaine Morrison, who takes inspiration from the Mairns landscape. Walking alone in Drumtochty woods, I stray off the path, losing track through prickly gorse, stumps of spruce, following birdsong, noticing. I pause in a lichen mottled copse. Red deer sense me, startle amongst birch, larch and pine. In the dulled warmth of early autumn sun, two spiders focus on weaving their fine yarn between grasses. Looking north to the craggy tor of Clachnaben, I see a memory of your life before the MS took hold. Winding way too fast on your Kawasaki 900 up to Plockton, high over the Bailach to Applecross, looping to Shieldegg and on to your beloved Torridon. Now, as I stand here, I glimpse you within the dead wood of your body. Elaine, a very poignant poem, the walk alone giving you time for deep reflection. 
the poem Walking Alone in Drum Talkity Woods uh, came to me after I was out for a walk alone in Drum Talkity Woods near Uchen Blay. And I just got thinking about my wee brother who has MS and looking up towards Cairn Mount as I was at the time. I had a real sense of how his life used to be, uh, how sort of freeing he used to find his time on his motorbike and really how his his condition over the past 25 years has really robbed him of himself in a way. And it dawned on me at that point just how completely lucky I was to be able to go for that walk in the woods on my own, something that he couldn't imagine doing now. And it, it saddened me deeply um, and it inspired me to be a bit more appreciative of, of, of what I had. And uh, the, the poem was born from, from those emotions, I guess. Thanks, Elaine. And it seems Drum Tochty has much to capture the imagination. Our next poem, The Glen, is by John Wiggum Shirt. In snowy fields and red grey skies, waters rise from bubbling burns like crude, a liquid life force swirling like wine in a glass, a dark brew, slow to anger, dawdling through the pine woods and frozen ground wherein whoopers went over, their mournful cries echo in the glen. By St. Palladius I tarry, and dip my toes in melt water. Pine needle crowns crunch underfoot, dark spaces fill the trees. Light fades, and the river quickens in the dusk, as icy fingers clutch at my coattails, in the cathedral of night, snow is nature's silencer, bringing a hush over the land, and the rushing water, sparkling and clear, bows to the serenity of winter. John, a really beautiful poem. I love the comparison of the water to a dark brew. What prompted you to write this? My poem, The Glen, features one of my places of the heart, Drumtochty Glen. It was written following a walk with friends on an autumn afternoon, cold and frosty, around 3.30pm. There were snow clouds in the sky, just enough to reflect the setting sun. We parked up near St Palladius Church and went for a wander round. There was condensation on the leaves of the yew trees on the valley floor. Higher up, among the pine trees, the atmosphere was quiet, very still, as if holding its breath waiting for something to happen. The sky was slowly turning brick red as it got darker. I know Drum Tochty well, John, and I think you've really captured the essence of the Glen. Well, we return to Elaine now for our final piece of work. In this extract from her essay entitled Granite, Elaine whisks us back to 1980s Aberdeen. Aine speckin, very fay. A tall, lanky girl leaned in over me, fridge dangling like a brown velvet curtain above my face. So close I could feel her breath on my forehead. She smelled of bubblegum and a lack of soap. There was another girl on either side of me. Smaller, but huddled in tight so I couldn't move. Fit a gipe, are you deef? Where are you fae? Tain, I said. Far as that? 
Rosshire. Russia? Russia? Hey, Abdi, the Queen's for Russia. I was the Queen for Russia. As a new girl in school, the bullying was relentless, but I had my father's quick temper and knew how to use my fists. Pulled to the stony ground by the hair, fight, fight, chanted the large circle of spectators. Two or three of them in the middle, me. They didn't usually each the ear of a teacher or the janny. The ringleaders picked up their jackets and bags and dispersed before they could be caught. We'll get you next time, you Russian cow. I rearranged my granite grey pinafore, retrieved my school bag from whichever bush it had been chucked and wondered why we had to move here. We arrived in Aberdeen on the 6th of November 1980. It was late afternoon, dark, cold and raining. The party of three that stepped off the train from Tain in the Highlands found their way from the dreary station up the steep flight of slippery stone steps from the Green to Union Street and were dazzled by the lights of the high street stores. My mother, my four-year-old brother and eight-year-old me, laden with bags and a hefty dose of bewilderment, took refuge in the grand surroundings of the Littlewoods restaurant in the old Trinity Hall. I recall that day vividly. It was awful. We asked for directions, once again faced the elements and the crowds and found our bus stop. We were confused that people didn't stick out their arm to hail the bus. It just stopped. The number 22 bus took us through unfamiliar streets and seemed to go on forever. This is your stop, Quine, the driver called out as Mum had asked him to. We stumbled off the bus with our overnight bags onto the damp pavement. We didn't know exactly where the house was. My father had viewed it and he was on an oil rig off the coast of Brazil when we made the move. Mum took out the folded piece of paper with directions on it from her coat. Take Ian's hand. I held on to my wee brother as Mum gathered her things together and we crossed over Provostrust Drive to find our new home. The houses looked a lot like the ones we'd left in Tain, the same landlord, the Scottish Special Housing Association. At least there was that comfort of familiarity. The enduring memory of going into the house was that when the light switches were flicked, no lights came on. The previous tenant had taken the light bulbs when they flitted, and the door handles. Welcome to Aberdeen. Elaine, with this story, you've transported us back to childhood. There's a real feeling of not belonging, the awful bullying, and your first impressions of the city are so vivid. In the extract from the personal essay, Granite, I wanted to get across the feelings that I had as an eight-year-old moving to somewhere completely new and feeling and being treated like an alien. Uh, it was a really, really difficult time um, for us. We'd moved from just outside Glasgow initially up to the Highlands and then down to Aberdeen. And I'd never been there before. I didn't know what to expect. The full essay explores my coming to terms with being in this new place, this alien place of accepting my role as an alien and beginning to embrace the sort of the, the beauty and the sort of sort of generosity, often hidden generosity of spirit that you find in the people of Aberdeen and the North East. Well, that's all for this podcast. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for updates. Don't forget, you can leave a comment below. We'd love to know what you think. Bye for now and thanks for listening.